Welcome to Screen Actors Guild, where we explore Oscar-winning actors and the embarrassing films they'd rather forget. I'm your host, Michelle. Uh, I'm Henry, uh, the Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> character with the Super Saiyan hair. Uh, oh, God. Why the fuck did we watch this movie? Okay, so... It couldn't have been a bigger disappointment, because I really did think this was going to be, like, dare I say, a romp? Yeah. Kind of. So we should start. The movie is Highway, starring Jared Leto, uh, and uh, I, it's just, I, uh, we (laughs) were talking earlier, just need to take a shower. It's such a disgusting, despicable movie. It was so Uh, disgusting. Yeah. yeah. So but let's like to let's start of... by talking about Sir Jared. Sir Jared of Leto. Yeah. Sir Jared of Leto. Sir Jared of Leto. This movie came out in 2002, but he had already been in the game for quite a while. At least he was still pretty up and coming, but he was in a decent amount of stuff prior to this movie. Um, yeah. And he's an he's an Oscar. So people forget this. Jared Leto is an Oscar-winning actor for a role that's already uh, like already unconscionable. <laughs> Uh, he won for <laughs> Dallas Buyers Club, right? Playing yeah. a playing a trans woman in Dallas mm-hmm. Buyers Club, um, which is just at, was unacceptable then, is deeply unacceptable now. He's also I realized he is the only actor to not win an Oscar for playing the Joker in the last twenty years. Oh, really? Man, people really hated his Joker, didn't they? They were not yeah. fans. No. <sighs> yeah, his timing was not good. He, but he, um. Yeah, he'd been in a bunch of stuff prior to this. Like, okay, I'm lo- looking at My So-Called Life, which I didn't watch oh, back right. in the 90s, yeah. but that was a huge hit. And then he was in some fun, silly movies like Urban Legend, but he was also the the leading role in Prefontaine. He was in Fight Club. Right. He was in Requiem for a Dream already when this movie came out. Oh, yeah, I guess he was. Yeah. So he was, like, on the map as having worked with some pretty, like, prominent actors and people, or prominent directors, people in the business. So he was, like... He didn't need this movie, let's just say. Nobody needed this movie. <laughs> Nobody who, needed this who, movie. Who made, like, the the number of decisions that had to happen for this movie to, like, spring forth from a relatively prominent screenwriter's brain yes. to be accepted, to be filmed with a camera, <laughs> and bring in Many cameras. relatively famous actors in a, a high production value movie yeah. that is... As unconscionable as I have seen a film. Yeah, I would say this is my least favorite out of everything we've watched so far. Oh, by far. Like, far and away the worst one. Catwoman's a delight compared to this movie. Yeah, because a Catwoman at least kind of like, I mean, it missed the mark, whatever the mark was supposed to be, but it was captivating in its own way. (laughs) There Mm -hmm. was a lot to unpack. There was a lot to think about and talk about. This movie is like, so it's a road trip movie. And it's supposed to be set in, like, 1994. So it's really banking on, like, that nostalgia factor of, like, 90s grunge, I think. And everybody being kind of... I think also, like, because it's a movie about... Starts out in Vegas and it's, like, grimy drug culture. I think it was kind of riding the coattails of, like, Fear and Loathing and a bunch of other, like, I don't know, Natural Born Killers. Like, other things that came out before it that did incredibly well because they were movies. It felt like it was trying to be, like, a, a late Gen X Fear and Loathing yeah, absolutely. Mixed, like uh, on the like it, the fucking ends with a quote from On the Road by Jack mm-hmm. Kerouac, which is these are it's like written by a dirtbag who's clearly obsessed with Kerouac and yeah. decided to like update it for the late early 2000s, late 90s. Uh, so uh, fucking pretentious that it ended in a quote that's on screen for like a good 30 seconds too to really let it sink in. Like come on. This movie yeah, I, I mean, at that point I'm already out of the theater, so yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter how long <laughs> It stays on screen. Oh, I, I I paid for this you know, movie. Like, I paid for it with actual American money. Yeah, $3 Ooh, for the YouTube. Yep. Bummer. Uh, so this this movie was written by Scott Rosenberg. Yeah, it was. Who, who wrote Con Air. Yep. Wrote High Fidelity. Uh, he wrote... And this is definitely... He wrote Gone in 60 Seconds. He wrote both the new Jumanjis and Venom, which, you know, everyone hated Venom, but he did write it. And he's he's a bankable screenwriter and now mostly a mm-hmm. producer. And he's, like, very successful. Yeah. It's just... It's terrible. Like, and he, this, I can't get past that this is a thing 
this is a story that he decided to tell. Yeah, that's why I started furiously Googling him because I was like, all right, so like it's not an adaptation from a book. Clearly this was one for him because it's like an indie movie. He didn't get roped into some like high budget thing because of the pay cut he was going to get. This is a story that he needed to tell for some reason. And I am so worried about the world that has to interact with Scott Rosenberg. And... So he decided to tell the story. He convinced enough he convinced enough people to put money behind yes. this to make this story. And then he convinced a bunch of relatively famous actors to be in this story. N- oh yeah. None of this tracks to the thing that ends up on screen, which is just the most deplorable people do it's like, like a Harmony Korean movie without any point. Yeah, like, and it's, like, immediately so disgusting. They don't even ease you into it. Within the first, I want to say, five minutes, uh, Jared Leto is having sex with someone else's wife, and it's, like, a porn angle, like, as she's having doggy-style sex with Jared Leto, and then two seconds later telling her husband, he raped me, he raped me. I'm like, I want to throw up. Yeah, it, it's just... I, I almost wish the movie had stayed as porny, as those first couple of like first couple of yeah. uh, scenes, because like it's after you have the like weird intro with Jake Gyllenhaal, who's the other uh, co-star of this movie, yeah, and and turning in an inexplicable but at least like sort of workable performance because mm-hmm. he's Jake Gyllenhaal and he can like kind of deliver. Yeah, uh, his character's disgusting, but he's like at least sort of selling Everyone's it. Everyone's disgusting. But Jared, yes, Jared Leto is a pool boy, and the beginning, like the first scene, he's barely wearing anything and it's like an basically just a porn intro of this housewife like talking sort of dirty to him and then rubbing an ice cube over his body and licking off the ice cube in this mainstream motion picture Uh, (laughs) within like like the opening credits just ended and this is already how we start the movie so they they're not they're not trying to sneak up on you with their creepiness and the sleaziness of it all but like dude if i guess yeah i i guess if it had stayed on the the porn tip then at least you would kind of like it wouldn't be lying about what it is (laughs) it would be a coherent (laughs) story like insofar as this movie's about anything right it's about like how the the most disgusting brand of young man understands sex right yeah told through a road trip movie and kind of like how two adult men who met as boys have never mo- emotionally matured beyond like age eleven, because right. well, it's 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 when they it, stop changing their haircuts and hat style, uh, and and so that's it throws hat. their brains in place. Yeah, uh, should we? I mean, there's not a lot yeah, of plot to unpack. Should we try to talk about what this movie is supposed to be about? Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, so. Please. Oh, just that beginning scene is like almost all you need to know. He has sex with another man's wife, and then that guy turns out to be some kind of like mob bossy dude. Tells mm-hmm. him he's gonna break his feet, and he's on the run. Which and they apparently go to Seattle. in this movie, having your feet broken is the worst thing that there is. That's the worst the, possible thing. The worst possible thing. Like there couldn't be a worse threat. I wrote down what was the quote? It says. Breaking your feet, broken feet are the worst. They're like black death. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Uh, you, it makes point that you can't use a wheelchair, which can't be right. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't use a wheelchair with broken feet, I suppose, according to this movie. Yeah, so he's he's on the run from mobsters, and his best friend... Uh, as played by Jake Gyllenhaal, whose character's name is Pilot, and we'll get into that, yep. uh, is decides that they should go to Seattle, uh, and then they drive to Seattle, eventually on <laughs> yeah. the way finding out that Kurt Cobain had killed himself, and they keep going to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all of this takes place over two days. Oh, uh, it does, April, yeah. April 8th through April 10th, 1994. Yeah. And... They're being chased by the, like, mob enforcers the entire time. They pick up Selma Blair, mm-hmm. who you eventually find out is a an escaped sex worker from yeah. a bunny ranch. Yeah. And then they go to see, and then they get to Seattle. And that's the movie. 
And that is the uh, entire movie. They meet, they get into some antics along the way, and they certainly do all of the drugs that there are. But um, yes, the only like possible side plot that's almost a plot is that Jake Gyllenhaal is still in love with his high school sweetheart. Really, just a girl no. that he kissed yeah, once at the end of high school party. Yep. <laughs> and uh, and he tells this romanticized story about not mm. even thinking she knew who he was, but she kissed him at a party. And it's many years later, and he hasn't forgotten about it, and he's doing whatever he can to figure out where she is and track her down. It's very Totally romantic. normal, uncreepy behavior. Yeah, it's totally fine. Yeah. Uh, there's some... Yeah, and then he gets to Seattle, finds her... There's some interesting her. cameos. The cameos... Oh, sorry, what did you so, say? I would... Uh, it's, it's fine. Uh, I would never recommend this movie to anybody ever, right? No. But if I were to recommend this movie to somebody, it would yes. be to experience the Jeremy Piven and John C. McGinley cameos. Yes. Which which are out of this world weird. So weird. I went back and rewatched the Jeremy Piven scene because I just needed to to commit as much of that to memory as humanly possible. It's it's like when you're on camera, you do not need to play to the back of the house. Because everyone can hear you, but he's playing to a house in a different neighborhood, two An towns away. Like, yeah. <laughs> I it's think he's, Commedia dell'arte. He's trying to like induce a stroke or make one of the veins in his neck pop because that was the most indescribable thing to watch. Um, oh yeah, so the reason they meet Jeremy Piven, he's like their drug dealer. They want to get a bunch mm-hmm. of a bunch of different things to sell and pay their way across uh, on their road trip that takes two days. Which they never do, by the way. They never sell a single drug. They almost as far do as I can tell. once, I think, with John C. McGinley when he takes right. them to that it, rave. To that rave. Uh, yeah, and Jeremy Piven's giving the a performance that, like, a drunk Nicolas Cage would describe as unhinged. Yeah. Oh, like, my God. So much screaming. So much screaming and shaking. Of, like, a lot of drugs that I don't I don't quite understand some of these descriptions. He gets uh, all hyped up and says, I got hydro, hydro, nuggety nugs, the red, 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 red fiber. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is a red, red wine joke, I think maybe? it was a red, red wine joke. He just says red, like, a lot of times. Many, many times. Um, also, he's got rock soaked in wine cooler. So... <laughs> In case you're willing to roll the dice on whatever that might be, look like, or do to your brain. That rock that's been soaked in wine cooler. Um, Yeah, I really think he might have almost died filming that scene, though. Yeah. He does at one point say that he was so high on one of those drugs that he was fucking a Coke machine in a Motel 6. Yes. (laughs) Which is one of many, like, incredible combinations of words in this movie that do not... Uh, absolve this movie of its many sins, but do make it a thing that's at least possible to talk about. Yeah. Uh, he, I would have, like, like I want to send that scene to everyone I know and just be like, <laughs> hey, I watched a thing today. Don't watch the movie. Here's a little treasure. Here's 90 yeah. seconds of absolute manic nonsense. Did Did you notice what the first shot of Jeremy Piven is in that movie? Uh, no, I don't remember. It is his crotch. God. Uh, because this movie is so profoundly obsessed with dicks. Oh my this God. movie might as well just be a giant anthropomorphic dick with a bunch of other, <laughs> like, naked dudes jerking off <laughs> next to it for an hour and a half. That's basically what the fucking movie is. I, the, there's a whole, the, one of the main conflicts of the movie oh, yeah. is that Jared Leto hasn't had an orgasm for five years. Yeah. And, like, that's a, they, they talk about it a bunch of times in the movie. So many times. This movie is obsessed with ejaculating. It's obsessed with, each other's dicks, each other's sex lives, every discreet detail, other random guys' dicks. It's a, mm-hmm. it's like a sonnet to a penis. It's yeah. just, it's just a lot. There's like scenes where, so they take Jeremy, Jeremy Piven, uh, Jared Leto takes Jake Gyllenhaal. Wait, actually, hold on. Uh, let me just, shall I compare thee to a stoner's dick? <laughs> Continue. I love it. Uh, so Jared Leto takes Jake Gyllenhaal to like a brothel and mm-hmm. afterwards he won't stop talking about it. He's very excited. There's like a whole scene where they're walking to a diner. He's describing in detail the sex that he's had with this sex worker. They eat an entire meal and then later they're leaving the diner. Same conversation is still <laughs> happening. This is all this movie cares about. Yeah, I would say 
85% of the dialogue is about sex or dicks. Yep. 10% is about drugs. Uh-huh. And 5% is nonsense words. Yeah, it's kind of like um, not like a Mad Lib because that doesn't make because Mad Libs have structure. Yeah, it doesn't you know? make enough sense to be a Mad Lib. It's just word soup. It's like somebody just <laughs> opened up a dictionary, pointed to a lot of the longer words that they could find, shoved it all together into a paragraph, and then we're just like, ah, eh, just say it real fast. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's worth noting that everybody calls the Jared Leto character the God of Fuck. Yes. Throughout the movie, so much. Introduces like, him to strangers as the god of fuck. Yeah. In, in the middle of a fight, introduces him to strangers as the god of fuck. Yeah. I, yeah, he's like talking to, like the very opening scene where, the, where Jared Leto and Jake Gyllenhaal meet up with each other is like at like a community pool. Uh-huh, where an Jake, old folks Jake, pool. Yeah, where Jake Gyllenhaal is in the midst of selling mushrooms to like a seven-year-old. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, it's grimy. Um, and and then does scream uh, the god of fuck in front of, I like it, like 11 older ladies doing aqua aerobics. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at, right after Jared Leto has humped uh, one of the railings to get into a pool with an, an old lady's head like, like right inches there. from him. Like right, right there. Yeah, he Imagine just... being the old lady in the casting call for that scene. <laughs> Uh, what if there wasn't a casting call? What if they just made everybody sign something <laughs> who happened to be <laughs> at a, yeah, the YMCA? So funny that um, this is one of my favorite quotes. They keep doing this pop quiz thing, and mm-hmm. it's, and one of the one of the lines is pop quiz number of furious killboys that want to make wine out of your feet. I don't remember oh. that. Oh, I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't know. I want to make wine out of your because they're gonna mash them like grapes. Is that why it's I, I, wine? I out guess. Of feet? I guess. Don't uh, most people break feet by just like hitting you with something and then game? I was I loved it. They that made me they do love to stomp the feet. They stomp the feet like, in the end. They stomp the feet. They absolutely like stomp the feet. So I guess now that makes a little bit more sense. But furious killboys making wine out of feet. They're coming. Better flee yeah, to Jake Seattle. Hall seems to know a lot about the inner workings of the Vegas mob. For like a nineteen-year-old burnout. Totally. Uh, it's yeah. The, it is a little vexing. Uh, yeah, that and, mobster's uh, reputation definitely precedes him. I do like that they call his thugs Miranda's pandas. Miranda's pandas is pretty fun. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out why they're called the pandas. Is it because they dress in black and white? I guess they're kind of in black and white, but I mean, no, yeah. not enough that you would notice it. They're mostly just dudes wearing dark clothing. Right. They're also, Panda's not the first black and white animal that I tend to think of when I see, it doesn't matter. No. <laughs> uh, I, they're all, so throughout this movie, they're, it's interspersed with like old family movie footage yeah. of like young child versions of the Jake Gyllenhaal and Jared Leto character, like being rascals, yeah. where they literally do have the exact same haircut and visor. Oh my God. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's wearing this like old accountant's visor. Uh, and Jared Leto has what could only be described as like a porcupine haircut. Yeah, uh, he's got like like a thick mohawk-ish haircut. It's just longer in the middle. Yeah. It is kind of a porcupine yeah. haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's, it's like a, wi- a wide mohawk. Yeah. And, and yeah, they're, they've just got that all these for, flashbacks I guess for 15 Jake years. Like, yeah, they've known each other forever because their trailers were parked next to each other in the middle of the desert where nothing else exists. Um, But, yeah, apparently Jake Gyllenhaal's character has been wearing one of those, like, car dealers, like, uh, clear green plastic visors since he was six years old. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And has never changed it. No, why would you? Uh, It's, it is, like, there are moments where I thought that it was kind of be like, oh, I'm not going to say cute, but like bordering on cute. We're getting their original, like what they were like as kids in the very intro. Yeah. But then they keep doing it in some points, like every other frame. Yeah. For portions of the movie where it's not Catwoman nauseating, but it's close to it's Catwoman nauseating. Yeah. I think what really, bo- it was like a music video from the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what really bothered me about a lot of these like editing and directing choices, like weird camera angles, a slow motion shot out of nowhere. 
uh, in the middle of a scene, suddenly you're getting like old, like VHS, like old camcorder quality footage of their childhood, but not with any plot point or anything that makes sense. Just like a random flash of a face and a skateboard. And it was like trying to be an artistic movie. And that really pissed me off. <laughs> like, come on. We all know what like, this is, except <laughs> the director. <laughs> Ugh, and it was really gross. Like everything, every man in this movie looked so greasy that you could like wring him out with a towel. Like every man <laughs> was so shiny in like a way that they'd probably been sweating for about two and a half weeks and hadn't changed their clothes. I was just like, oh god, the set must have been so disgusting smelling. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a grimy ass movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's. Let's talk highlights and lowlights, because <laughs> highlights will go quick, I think. Yeah, highlights are uh, not, we're not going to linger in highlights for very long. <sighs> um, I mean, the Jeremy Piven thing's a highlight. It's disgusting to watch, and it's baffling to watch, but it is a spectacle to behold. So, And I did watch it voluntarily twice, so I'm going to have to at least pop that in the highlight column for yeah. now. It's the only part of the movie that feels worth telling somebody else to watch. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's funny enough, out, like, out of context. Oh, this has nothing to do with anything in the movie, but speaking of Jeremy Piven cameos, did you know that he's on the app Cameo and that for $15,000, you can talk to him for 10 minutes? <laughs> what? Thousand. $15,000. $15,000. Like, you can get... You can get Why Lance, be on but- Cameo? Why be? Yeah, that's the thing. It's not like, oh, well, everyone has to be on Cameo, and he clearly doesn't want to do it, so he's just going to make his price ridiculous, and then he'll never have to do it. Like, he signed up. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, I'm like... Right, I Lance Bass at, I mean, is like, 250 right? <laughs> I was about to say Lance Bass. It's like, you can talk to him for several minutes, and it, like, won't even... It won't even cost you 300 bucks. Dude. Yeah. So anyway, that's the Jeremy Piven of today. It seems very similar to the Jeremy Piven of this movie. He is just so much unbridled douche. But yeah. it's entertaining to watch. That's a highlight. Yeah. No, that's that's a good one. Uh, there's my highlights are almost exclusively just like snippets of like pieces of scenes. Right. Yeah. There are. Yeah. Two things, two things Jake Gyllenhaal says, one thing Jake Gyllenhaal does. So at one point when he's telling Jared Leto that he can't run away with him, he says, I've got a lot of things going on, and one of those includes I've got to rent videos, which I think is a pretty funny thing to say. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also, so it comes in the... Well, it is largely a, a terribly unpleasant, unredeeming part of the movie, the, like, Alligator Boy sequences. Ugh. But he does, at one point, after Alligator Boy has, like, screamed, he says, that'd be a cry laden with pain and sorrow. <laughs> oh, that was a pretty funny thing to say. Uh, oh, and my God. We haven't even talked about Alligator Boy. We're going to have to circle back to that. We're going to have to get deep into Alligator Boy. Uh, and then at the, like, last sort of culminating scene where the mobsters... We're like, all of this movie has been for nothing, and the mobsters have caught up with Jared Leto and broken his legs, or yeah. broken his feet. Jake Gyllenhaal hoists a trash can above his head and throws it, and it lands feet feet away <laughs> from the mobsters. <laughs> and that struck me as a pretty uh, a pretty compelling... I like, like it. Yeah, it's, it's a, it seemed like a, a choice made for humorous purposes that basically landed for me. Uh, and then the only other thing, I'm not going to call it redeeming exactly, but it did feel like it was out of a different movie, which I think is a uh, a, a, a argument in favor of it, is the scene when they're all in the graveyard and some of Blair and Jared Leto are like mm-hmm. having a heart-to-heart conversation that like, yeah. well, what, it's like the only time some of Blair gets to say more than three words back to back. Yeah. And it like that, that felt like that was a, a scene from a different movie that wasn't a good movie, but wasn't like a a rotting corpuscle of a movie the way that this movie is. Yeah, actually, that scene I kind of had to give it credit because it it was trying to do some amount of backstory and character development and add a little bit of depth to her character and also give Jared Leto like a little bit more of like human qualities, like mm-hmm. sensitivity or the ability to listen 
to anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> but that that scene also involved um, while they're having that conversation. It's John C. McGinley. Which, this is nonsense monologue. It, just fucking going off, saying like a boy should never have to die in a J.C. Penney's, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and he and Jake Gyllenhaal. I forget what drug they did, but it's it's one that makes you want to um, windmill your arms around and toss each other to and fro about the field like <laughs> <laughs> like ragdolls. It was awesome. Very yeah. funny to watch. His character was a highlight for me. I don't understand why they cast John C. McGinley in this role. He's the most ill-fitting. <laughs> Okay, so to describe what this guy looks like, he's wearing like a really tight, really short little shirt and leather pants. And I would has... describe the shirt as a long sleeve crop top. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Oh my god, yeah, and he's yeah, and he's wearing like tight little leather pants, and he's got numerous white boy dreadlocks, like just so many, and they're all in his face. But like, it's John C. McGinley, so it looks like a cop doing halloween or something it it just looks like a drill sergeant in a wig and the wig is a mop like he's the most unbelievable like counterculture character because he literally looks like he should be like screaming at cadets and then somehow he's like high on mescaline in a field Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense speaking of field my my highlight is he pops out of the convertible while they're driving and screams into the night, a field! We need a field! A field in which to frolic! (laughs) I wrote down so many John C. McGinley quotes. Uh, There are things that he says in this movie that I can't can't decide if they're good or bad, but there's something... Some of them are good, some of them are bad. Uh, So they first meet him, and they ask what was going on. He's like in an argument with some... Town, like some biker dudes in a biker bar yeah. and somebody one of the main characters asks him what was what that was uh, says that was about the world being a blender and me being a fucking strawberry yeah <laughs> cute. Uh, the when jake gyllenhaal is telling him about his like his dream girl he shows a picture and oh the salad uh, no dressing. says wholesome dreams and a tight little ass could i have this on salad with no dressing yeah <laughs> what what does any of that mean? What does any of that mean? You know when something has a tight little ass and your first instinct is how much you wish it could be on lettuce by itself. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I love I've it got, so I've much. I've got more. <laughs> uh, in that same scene, he says, you realize that people are forgotten by people who remember every single day. Let me say that again. Wait. <laughs> You realize that people are forgotten by people who remember every single day. Oh. Let me say that again. Oh. You... <laughs> <laughs> you realize that people are forgotten by people mm-hmm. who remember every single day. <laughs> every single day, huh? <laughs> I don't know what any of it means. As in, they... You know... He had to write this movie. Something inside of him told him that it needed to get out. <laughs> Scott Rosenberg had, a, I want to say. A demon. Yeah, a demon. It's not inspiration so much as it is a wild demon that needed to escape on paper. Because <laughs> there's so many, everyone monologues in this movie. And they monologue at like a hyper speed. They just throw together all these absolutely insane sentences and like, I had to, without subtitles, I don't know how I would have understood this movie. I had to watch the whole thing with subs like it was a foreign film because I just couldn't understand any of it. Yeah, I mean, so as the two people who watched Highway today, (laughs) I I think there probably is somebody sitting in a studio somewhere being like, what what happened? We thought this movie was gone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's been tried to be buried. There is, you can find nothing about this movie on the internet. You really can't. Uh, it's so bizarre. M- McGinley also gives a monologue about his friend who had a suicide pact who shot himself in the face oh, yeah. and then had to get a skin graft with his, uh, with his hairy ass. <laughs> and he had a hairy ass skin graft. And I, I considered rewinding it to try to write down some of the, the absolutely banana pants things in that monologue. But I guess we just leave our listeners with that there's a monologue about a friend who gifted him a business after he died who not, didn't yeah. die by gunshot, 
but was maimed by gunshot and to deal with that had his hairy ass that he had to shave every day grafted to his face so he had to shave his forehead there's a monologue in this movie about that and it was not nearly the worst part of the movie definitely wasn't and i felt a special twang of like twinge of sadness when i have to like watch everyone else in that scene react to it like he just told a normal funny story <laughs> like man selma blair selma blair just acting her little heart out laughing like ah you card yeah. doing her best doing, uh, doing her, her best her absolute best some people uh, really are doing their best in this movie. Poor Selma Blair. She was kind of like a hot commodity in the early 2000s. She didn't have to do this movie. She was no. like a like a very prominent supporting actor. Probably had been a lead actress in a couple of things. But she was in like all of those 90s teen comedies and dramas right. and like girl in, uh, what was the one? Cruel Intentions. Things like that. Like, oh, yeah. She didn't need this yeah, to get real. on the map. But, you know. McGinley was already in Scrubs. By the time this movie was he made. was in Scrubs while this was being made. Yeah, I mean at least so he was oh Scrubs God. premiered in two thousand one, and he, this movie was in two thousand two. Yep. So he was already a main character. He was like the only good character in Scrubs, b- widely beloved. Yeah. By and still chose to be in this movie. Whoa. Be, because he was involved in a group murder that the yeah. Scott Rosenberg saw and convinced him to like this is the only way to to get out of it. I don't. I, how, What's mm. funny about this movie, too, is it really does feel like a Scott Rosenberg joint, even though he didn't direct it. Because he's, like, yep. the only one. I, like, looked up the director, and I, I'm blanking on his name right now. It's, um, she should have written it down. Doesn't matter. Martin Scorsese. It's Scorsese. Yeah, he did, like, no other movies. He did a couple shitty movies, like, throughout the years that no one saw. But the director doesn't have any, like, notoriety or any sway. So this is really just, like, a screenwriter slash producer conning everyone he knows into being in this absolute garbage movie but so many good actors and so many or at least you know prominent actors yeah no one's gonna call jeremy Uh, piven a good actor correct but he i mean he's he did have a very bold set of hair plugs put in mid-career I, I'll give him sure that. Did. That is a bold move, though. I, am, I admire the courage to just do it and know that everyone's going to know that you did it and just. Right. To be like, I'll, I mean, never flex. talk about it, never acknowledge it. Uh, <laughs> so oh, I have a question before we move off of John C. McGinley. Uh, I had a question the entire movie. It, it was maybe resolved at the end. Is he a real person or is he a Tyler Durden in Jake Gyllenhaal's head? Oh, whoa. That is an interesting wrinkle. Because <laughs> he, if he ever interacts with the other characters, I'm, I'm not, I'm not certain of it. Um... Like may, maybe one word of dialogue is exchanged, but that could also just be somebody talking to the ether. Like, yeah, that's a kind of a good point. And a lot of those scenes, like the one where they're at the rave. And, like, they get into a scrap because they're trying to sell drugs and these guys are trying to, like, interfere with them selling drugs and, like, something goes bad. It's just Jake Gyllenhaal and and John C. McGinley, right? Is Jared Leto even in the room? Nope. He's outside in the parking lot throwing rocks into cars. Yeah. (laughs) Breaking bottles and throwing a a brick into just a random car window. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think that that Jake Gyllenhaal, I think Pilot and Jack are both actually 12 year old boys and there's like a cool subplot where they mm-hmm. get to just be in adult men bodies for the entire movie so they're just like dicks and throwing <laughs> rocks dicks and throwing rocks it's a dark 13 going on 30 yeah uh, <laughs> the absolute worst iteration of that magical uh happening yep yeah. uh so should we talk about jake gyllenhaal's character's name yeah, and the, I guess the recurring set of horrible jokes around it that also make no sense. The jokes don't make any sense. They are not jokes. No. Okay. So so Jake so Jake Gyllenhaal's character's name is Pilot. It's not a nickname. It's his real name. Yeah. Because his mother had sex with a, an anonymous pilot, mm-hmm. and then she got pregnant, and so she named him Pilot. Yep. And in the both times this is discussed. <laughs> the, people say like oh it's good that uh the guy hadn't been a proctologist because then pilot's name would have been something like sphincter or hemorrhoid or dingleberry yeah uh w- well because that's no that's not how that works 
No, because he was a pilot and he's named Pilot. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's they... a pilot. He's not named Plane. He's not named Wing. <laughs> he's named Pilot. If, I, theoretically, if it's a proctologist, you just name him Proctologist. They they set up the joke in such a weird way that it's like they could have made it. That would have been a joke. But, uh-huh. but they, they set it up in this weird way where they can make these like almost jokes that sound like someone did a bad job ad-libbing on the spot. Mm-hmm. But someone wrote this, you know, assuming... It comes up twice. It can't be an ad lib. And then the second time, I think it's John C. McGinley's character that said, "Oh, it's a good thing he wasn't a bulimic, or you would have you would have been named puke." Right. One bulimic's not a first, job, as far as I know. First of all, not not a job. Also, uh, uh, that's second, not how that no, works. No, he's named Pilot. <laughs> yeah, pilots uh, pilots' sons are named Pilot. Bulimic sons, because you're a career bulimic. Your son is now named Puke. There's Truly. just so many other jokes they could have made. And uh, one man, one insane man alone in a room wrote that down and everybody had to talk about it later. Yep. Paid someone to say it. All right. Should we just, should we go through a long list of the things that are genuinely horrible in this movie? We can't go much longer without talking about Alligator Boy. Because okay. Yeah, let's. A side plot in this boy. movie, I guess, is Alligator Boy. The most mm-hmm. interesting thing I thought about the whole Alligator Boy part of the movie wasn't Alligator Boy himself. It was... We should maybe explain what Alligator Boy is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Jared Leto, first of all, is like in a gas station. There's a bulletin mm-hmm. board of different local events and things. And there's just a flyer that says, The Boy in giant the ca- boy. all caps and then Canyondale, Oregon underneath it. And he asks different people, what about the boy? What's up with the boy? And no one will tell him what the boy is. So eventually they they hear it's an alligator boy. But he is so mm-hmm. taken with the idea that there is just the boy, Canyondale, Oregon, that it sparks this whole side plot. And I was really fascinated with that. Why, yep. why, why did that catch his eye? Uh, alligator boy is a 26-year-old man who mm-hmm. lives in a warehouse in the middle of rural Oregon uh, on on a stage designed to look like a swamp. He is a man with a skin condition and a disability. That yes. gives He has a disfigured head and an inability to communicate with words. Yep. His, so... his, his mother keeps him... Mm-hmm. In this barn and yeah. sells admission to see him, uh, like it's fucking nineteen oh five. Yeah. Uh, I, he's also he does appear to be amphibious. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not like he's a man in a cage, which I was fully prepared to see and be distressed by. He's, they've set up this actual, like, kind of like a Disneyland, like, parts of the Caribbean swamp situation Mm -hmm. on a stage. It's got, like, big neon letters behind it that say Alligator Boy, but it's an actual, like, amphibious zone. He's in, like, a riparian, artificial riparian climate, and he's slithering around in the water and emerges from the water. So, I mean, he is a bit of an alligator boy. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, does he like, does he like it? I mean, it seems like he does... What the, his mother, who's selling, again, admission to tickets to see him, uh, says that he's shy and he's hiding because a girl had screamed. Yep. The last the girl who you see being carried out of the barn in a nice touch. Uh-huh. Uh, he's hiding, and he's, he's a, a human man yep. with a skin condition hiding underwater for <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah, presumably for minutes. They can't find him, and the only place he could be is underwater in this, like, pond zone. Mm-hmm. In so, his man pond. I mean, like, he is an alligator boy. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I, I guess he just is. And there's, like, the, first of all, his mom is, like, 75, and she's got mm-hmm. a 26-year-old son, so I had some questions, but we're just going to push pencil. through that. We're just going to push on through that. Uh, then, <laughs> then... At the end of the movie, like, so, okay, Jake Gyllenhaal's character really connects with Alligator Boy on this weird level where he is 
all about the spectacle and like this is so cool and the guy is clearly miserable and Selma Blair is looking at him like maybe he doesn't want you staring at him because he's like a guy and he's clearly distressed Jake Gyllenhaal's just like yeah this is awesome and then forms this weird actual bond in his head that's a one-way bond because alligator boy (laughs) is in the pond doing Mm -hmm. alligator boy stuff but he's decided to like kind of form some emotional connection with what in his mind is kind of an inanimate object. <laughs> and then he, they all three of them, Selma Blair, Jake, Jerry Leto, and Jake Gyllenhaal, all go inside and talk to the mom for quite some time and like have tea and discuss Alligator Boy at length. Um, at the end of the movie, Selma, he, like, Jake Gyllenhaal's like, I should give them money. They should have a better life. And she's like, well his mom could just stop inviting strangers over to look at him and he might be much happier. (laughs) And it kind of felt like, I mean, yeah, that line should be in the movie, but also it Mm -hmm. shouldn't because (laughs) I think we're all just supposed to accept that this is a way of life for the swamp boys, the swamp, the swamp boy. And he, you shouldn't question it. Yep. Seems, seems to like it. Seems to Uh, like it. His, his mom is desperate to get them back to the circus life. Yes, right? that's true. He, he's going to be a lot happier there amongst his own kind. Amongst, yeah. It, it, is, it is a deeply unpleasant and disturbing set of, of interactions. Uh, I do like, like the... She tells, like, this story about Aesop's fables that is the most quintessentially bad movie scene yeah. of all of... like. There are some there are some recurring tropes of the bad movies that we've watched so far. Yeah. One is John C. McGinley. The second, <laughs> the second is uh, is that there's almost always like a weird parable yeah. that's delivered in a stilted way that's somehow supposed to like reveal the plot of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and in this case, this is a story about Aesop from Aesop's Fables, and that's it. I mean, there's nothing more to it. That but people it's... didn't like his stories because he gave animals feelings and uh, revealed the the faults of man. Mm-hmm. So apparently mm-hmm. that story needed to be told. It was like, blink and you miss it. This scene is in the movie for, yeah, to explain the core of the movie, which is apparently something about, like, humanity and faults of man. I, I guess, and that animals are better, which I would agree that animals are better than the people in this movie. Like that. Are there animals that, in this ma- movie? No, it doesn't matter. The, oh, no, any, no. They exist an in the world object. outside of the movie, so they're arguably yeah. anything outside of the movie is better than whatsoever, whatever's in this movie. That's for yep. damn sure. Yep. Yeah, that scene makes uh, no sense. Does she. So every single person that goes to look at Alligator Boy also stops and sits down and has tea with this old, old lady so that she can tell them fables? Is that how, her business model is fucked? She only charges $10. She right. should charge Most a lot of my budget's going to tea. Yeah. <laughs> like, what an interesting little connection. And, like, it seems like they just kind of interview her about her son, get a really weird story, and then before they leave, Jake Gyllenhaal's like, we'll be back tomorrow to say goodbye to him. <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure he would Which appreciate it. He weird. reacted so well the first time as he's like bellowing <laughs> with pain and agony on stage. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal does say that he wishes he were Alligator Boy. Oh, he which, does. Which never comes back in the movie. Like, there's nothing that... Yeah. that doesn't That doesn't tell you anything about Jake Gyllenhaal. There's no... That, that, that doesn't... On peel back the onion. It's nope. it's just more doo doo nonsense. Yeah, he just wishes he was anything. He wishes he was a chair. Mm-hmm. He wishes he was alligator boy. <laughs> he wishes he was on every single drug at the same time, and he usually is. Mm-hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, we were talking about this right before we recorded. He's the only character that experiences any type of change, or mm-hmm. any sort of arc, and it happens in the last. Ooh, what like eight minutes of the movie? Yep, yep. He, yeah, he runs into he finds his like the girl from the high school party, and she doesn't remember him mm-hmm. just the way that he thought she wouldn't in high school. Yeah. And then he's all better, and he's not a fucking burnout anymore. And he goes to try to save his friend, and then he goes back to Vegas to be with the girlfriend that he <laughs> couldn't get an erection for. I think is part of the yeah. original thing. Because this whole movie centers around a giant phallus. 
Yep. Uh, yeah. So there, there are still worse parts of this movie than that, though. Is the thing. There are definitely worse parts to this movie. Oh my god. It's there isn't really a good character. Selma Blair's character is almost like she's sort of a redeemable character. She's definitely just like the the hooker with a heart of gold. Like, you know, yes. they even use that as a throwaway line at some point. But she's basically just oh, like I a, a, an unfortunate series of circumstances put her in a weird position, and then she kind of just takes to the road life. I don't know. She stole a bunch of shoes and ran away. She just sh- stole a bunch of sex worker shoes and hit the road. But um, she's the only character that might be an actual person. Everyone else is a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have... I have a specific person in mind who is the worst person in this movie. Uh, can you guess who I'm thinking of? Hmm. Who could be the worst? There's a lot of worst. I mean... Uh, Shitty Guy feel- Fieri at the the Bunny Ranch. Is oh, oh, fuck! I forgot about him. Of course, it's that guy. He's that right. definitely the worst. Yeah, greasy er, greasier Guy Fieri has he has like a goatee that looks like a lemur attached to his face. One and solid this, like, stripe going down what? from mustache to goatee. Just a yep. blonde stripe. And and like a weird shag carpet chest hair attached to his chest. Yep. He has a. A rooster puppet attached to his crotch. Yeah, he's wearing uh, some kind of banana hammock with like a rooster situation sticking out of his pants. He what? He has a hood ornament on his car that is uh, is two people having having uh, sex where they're facing the same direction. Yeah, uh, like styled like a dog. Yeah, and uh, when I saw it, my jaw literally dropped. It was when I realized this movie was never turning around and it was just going to be like this the entire time. And he, he says things that I can't repeat on this show, partly because I chose to forget them, partly because no human being should hear them. Uh, yeah. And there, he receives no comeuppance. He's just... He's, he's just, just there a, to add to like the muck and the mire. He's just there to be part of the gross, like the gnarly, greasy soup that is this entire It's just a sewage valve. Yeah. He's just yeah, he's like a he's like a gross like decoration on the wall and you're like that really does contribute to the set design, but it's a human mm-hmm. person making mm-hmm. really horrible choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says so many bad things and I fortunately can't remember them either. So we everybody wins right now. Yeah. But yeah, that guy's the worst guy. Um uh- Jake Gyllenhaal's pretty bad. He's probably my... That's who I was going to guess, because he's definitely not a good guy. At least... At the end, he kind of turns himself around uh, right before the credits hit, just enough to say that he has sort of kind of misses the girl that he's been dating, and that's his big character arc. But he's actually just kind of a deplorable scumbag the whole time. Jared Leto's character's not great, but... It's he's more just sex obsessed. He's, he's not just really sort of like, a nothing. He just he's sort of just, throws stuff around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is fit. I mean, Jared Leto's not a very good actor, and he's not like his role in this movie is to not wear a shirt, and uh, and yeah. eventually uh, have an orgasm on screen, which he does. Congratulations. Uh, he does it. That's the whole point J- of the movie, I guess. Jake Gyllenhaal has a scene where he does arithmetic. To determine how many, yeah. I, I'll say how many men Selma Blair's had sex with. These are not the words that he uses. Uh, he talks about how many, how many separate dicks she's had in. Yep. Uh, yep. It's one thousand fifty-six. One thousand fifty-six. He does some really quick math that I didn't see coming. He, I, throughout the movie, they're very clear that he's smart and he knows things. Yeah, he's precocious. Uh, he's a uh, he's got a silver tongue, kind of. Well, he says a lot of words really fast. Yeah. And he can clearly do math really quickly. Everything's quickly because he's on meth, I think, like, at the mm-hmm. end of this movie. Mm-hmm. He, he also, the, the like, Jake Gyllenhaal redemption mini arc is confusing to me partly. So did you notice that Selma Blair, like, kisses him on the cheek as he leaves to go back to Vegas? Uh, uh, this is, like, 12 hours after he has said vile slut-shaming things to uh, her in a parking lot. Just tr- like screamed in truly her face. despicable. Yeah, 
for absolutely no reason, too. She's for no not reason. provoking any kind of conflict. She's just kind of a party to this weird friendship, like escape route pact, whatever the mm-hmm. fuck they're trying to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, she does just turn right around and forgive him because women mean nothing to the creators of this movie or the writers of this movie or basically anyone on earth in the context of this movie. Yep. It's like yep. the grossest. Man, it really must. She's like kind of the only woman who gets a line in the movie besides Alligator Boy's mom. Alligator Boy's mom. And uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's mom does get one line where she says she doesn't know where, where she says she he's at school oh. when he's been out of school for several years. So right. there. Oh, and the girlfriend has has a line about, uh, I mean, there's a bunch of women who say things that make women look terrible. A lot of, yeah, just like a lot of boner chit-chat. Lots of stuff about boners. Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of I mean, you're a woman, a, right? That's what you all are talking about all the time, that's right? That's what we can't that's... get enough. In terms of being a movie, it's a bad movie. In terms of, uh, if it's a pie chart, the amount of time that they spend, like, discussing ejaculating, the ability to have or not have boners, or the various positions that you have performed coitus in, it's like so much of the pie that there's a tiny little sliver reserved for drugs and being mean to women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's this movie. This movie it's is in all truly, the wrong ways. Truly despicable. All, yeah. God, it's, it's and it's not like at no point is it like seeming like it's moving fast enough, which is crazy because actually kind of a lot of stuff happens, but it feels like nothing happens. It just feels yeah. super flat. Yeah. They also, there is, like, somehow it's supposed to be significant that Kurt Cobain has died. Yeah. Uh, and, like, it clearly is, like, takes place around that, right? Because, like, they're very specific dates. Yeah. Like, August 8th, 1994. Or April mm-hmm. 8th, 1994. Uh, but that contributes absolutely zero to anything in this movie, except that there are white dreadlocks in it. Uh, yeah. Which I sort of associate really... with Seattle at the time. Uh, yeah, it it's... was definitely like aesthetically really grungy, and so I think that um, the movie was made in the early two thousands. I feel like the Kurt Cobain thing was just a cheap ploy to like set the movie in a certain nostalgic time, so that everybody yeah. who remembers some stuff can be like that song, that artist. But they like the lead characters of the movie don't even give a fuck about Kurt Cobain. He gets mentioned in right. passing once, and then never again. And the only he's just a vehicle for like Jake Gyllenhaal to reunite with his high school crush at a vigil. But yep. In in fact, John C. McGinley tells Jake Gyllenhaal that Cobain has uh, has taken his own life. And Jake Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal smiles. smiles. He, smiles. he smiles. He's like, really? It's, it's what a despicable character. Yeah. What a, what a despicable movie. I hate it. I hate it so much. This is God. the worst movie we've watched by an order of magnitude. It makes me feel better that it was straight to DVD because that means that like almost no one's seen it. Like, it doesn't yeah. even hit the radar on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a pretty high score based only on, like, audience scoring, but no critical reviews. So it doesn't even have, like, a critic's percentage. I think it's, like, almost 70%, though, based on the insane people that will The dirtbags who've watched this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. I got into reading some of those reviews because they were the only reviews I could find online. No person who gets paid to do this would ever do this to themselves. Nope. Doozy. Uh, it's a doozy. I I do have one more question. Um, uh, yes. Uh, two questions actually. Uh, mm-hmm. Related to Alligator Boy. So you know when the so like these high school punks who are all in their thirties. Oh uh, God! So much older than everyone come, else in the movie. <laughs> come in to like pee in the lobster boy uh, lobster boy in the <laughs> alligator boy tank and like yeah. dump hard alcohol on him. It's horrible uh-huh. and they they break a giant egg that is a real egg <laughs> i know there was a, <laughs> that like a big goose egg or some kind of ostrich egg one of them it's a bunch of dudes in like letterman jackets uh all getting hyped up on beating up on alligator boy and one looks at the other and says check this out smashes the egg like onto a railing and everyone cheers why, why is there a giant egg in the tank, though? Why is, is there that, a giant egg? Why does everyone love his? watching an egg get smashed that much? Everyone turns <laughs> around, they're like, yeah! It's <laughs> uh, a good question. Second, second question. could have been Alligator Boy's egg. It might be Alligator Boy's egg. I mean, he's 
He's a bit There's of an alligator boy. There's a lot of alligator boy. boy. He lives in the swamp <laughs> most of the time because that's where he's happiest, presumably, based mm-hmm. on the fact that his mom lives in a normal house and has a fully functioning brain and seems like she just wants her son to be happy. Well, he lives in a swamp. What? He's now like, that I think about it, eggs. In, in The Shape of Water, uh, the main character brings eggs to the, the sexy fish man. So uh, maybe those are, that's like food for Alligator Boy. He, uh, he only eats raw ostrich eggs. Okay, I can buy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got to, yeah, he's got to eat something. So, so that, that, I'm glad we could answer that question. Mm-hmm. But the one that's really plaguing me. So... Yes. Early on, after they've picked up Selma Blair, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's asleep in the car, and Selma Blair says, I, you guys are taking this road trip, but you're doing it wrong. If you're going to take a road trip, you should really be doing it in a convertible. Oh, and then, yeah. fl- And then flash cut to Jared Leto with a welding mask <laughs> yep. and a giant metal saw <laughs> taking the top off of this, this car. Yep. Where the fuck did he get a metal saw and a giant <laughs> welding mask? That's what did you just I was have it? They're just out in front of like what a diner. They're like a truck stop. Yeah, very normal. And suddenly he has access to a, a lot of like tools and safety equipment. Um, in the time that it took him to get all of that equipment, uh, plug it in, put things on his body, and begin to saw the top of his car off, Jake Gyllenhaal at no point woke up. No point woke up. It wasn't until he was hit with sparks. Yeah. Yeah. That, I really actually thought the welder's helmet was an odd choice because he doesn't strike me as a guy that would even know about protective gear. I mean, he's still shirtless. He is shirtless. I guess maybe in like a badass Mad Maxi way, he just really wanted to wear a helmet. But man, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was actually my favorite part too. Like, where'd he get a mask? (laughs) (laughs) Ugh. Um, we often do the, what character would you be? But I almost feel bad even asking because it's just such a, it's scraping the bottom of the barrel to try to come up with a character I would enjoy living the life of. I think you gotta go John C. McGinley. John C. McGinley's having fun. He's having fun. He's having a good time. I mean, he's, it's not an enviable lifestyle, but he's, he's living his truth. He is. And I respect it. And he's, he's not got really, and he's not really hurting anybody. Yeah. He's no. just just kind of traipsing around, jumping into hippie buses, doing a bunch of acid. He's a pretty yep. low impact uh, side character. So seems like a good choice. I was truly glad to see him come back in the movie because at least there me was too. like something for me to pay attention to. And he calls Jake Gyllenhaal the Sir Edmund Hillary of assholes, which yeah. is that that's like almost like an archer line. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, I don't oh, want to God. be him, but I do have like lots more questions about like the seemingly wholesome seven-year-old boy trying to buy mushrooms within the first five minutes of this movie. What's at, his day like? At, a, at Aqua Aerobics. What's he doing there for that? Yeah. Is that just when he goes to buy drugs? Why is he there? Why is he there? What's going on with his life? Is it, he like Benjamin Button? Is, it, is he actually <laughs> very old? Yeah. That's uh, John C. McGinley starts out as him, and then throughout the movie, <laughs> ages very quickly in a short amount of time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, no one should ever watch this movie ever. No one who was in it should have ever even watched it after they acted in it, because it, I just felt so sad for everybody that was in this movie. Mm-hmm. Except Jeremy yeah. Piven, because he's doing exactly what he needs to be doing in every movie, which is unhinged crazy sweaty manic nonsense that you're allowed to just hate because it's what it's there for mm-hmm. it's it's his role in society yeah uh yeah i'm gonna say there's no way to make this movie good nope the only way to make this movie good would be to not have made it yep uh some ideas don't deserve the light of day scott scott <laughs> uh scott scott so I, I hate i hate you scott uh well any parting thoughts on this fucking garbage fire um 
I'm looking outside and the sun is shining and it's a beautiful <laughs> Sunday afternoon. And what I've chosen to do with my limited, with my finite days on earth is <laughs> to sit indoors and watch this movie and then talk about it forever. And I don't regret it, but I'm definitely mad at it. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh, we all learned something, I think. I don't know what it is yet. I think no, I learned. Oh, I learned that you can soak someday. rock in wine cooler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that is it's good to know. Someday that'll come in handy. Yeah. Well, Michelle, well, I'm sorry we did this. We did do it. And next mm-hmm. uh, next time we're going to try to come up with something less painful. <laughs> there needs Boy, to be a howdy. warning somewhere. Okay. Well, until next time, <laughs> I'm Henry. I'm Michelle, god of fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh experiment and fast forward into the future of acting everybody goodbye say.